0: Hello, you're listening to Bathscape's brand new podcast, Footprints. I'm Pommy Harmer and in the run-up to the Bathscape Walking Festival this September, I'll be bringing you a monthly dish of delights to wet your appetite. In each episode, we'll start with an interview, follow it with some wise words about walking and finish by taking you on a beautiful guided walk around the Bath Landscape. So starting with our interview for our first episode, we thought we should hear from Bathscape's walking festival organiser herself, Lucy Bartlett. So tell us all about the walking festival. What is it? When is it? And what happens?
1: It's two weeks, the 11th to the 26th of September. This year we will have guided walks, which we weren't able to run last year, and also digital and virtual walks as well. And it's really a celebration of Bath as a Walking destination. Everybody knows Bath for its Georgian core and everything else, but it's also a fantastic landscape city surrounded by beautiful countryside. And I think there's never been a better time to come and explore it, whether you're a local resident or further afield. And what we try and do is have a range of walks shorter walks, longer walks, lots of them got a theme. So it might be something about the history and heritage, architecture, nature, bat walks, all sorts. So something for families, something for older people and everything in between. It
0: sounds amazing. And I've noticed that walking festivals seem to be happening in quite a number of places. They're springing up everywhere. There's there's a big one in Bristol as well. Do you know what the history is behind walking festivals?
1: Yeah, in some ways, Barscape is a little bit late to the game compared to other places. One of the older ones in the local area is Caution, that's been going since 2014. Quite a few of them sprung out of, have you heard of the Walkers are Welcome initiative, where... Local towns get accredited with a, a national recognition scheme called Walkers Are Welcome. And one of the things they do in that is then set up festivals. And one of those things is that the owners of BNBs or cafes and restaurants display the fact that Walkers are welcome, which I think essentially means you can bring your muddy boots in here and you won't be asked to leave. You might be allowed to bring a wet dog in, you know, that sort of thing. And so it's trying to encourage particularly smaller towns where walking is one of the main tourists attractions to really encourage the local businesses to get on board and walking festivals is part of that it really gives them a a local boost of publicity and things like that and I think for Bath, Bathscape it's about recognising it as a walking destination which as I say it hasn't always been recognised as but is fantastic it's a great base for walking as well I mean Bath nestles between two areas of outstanding national beauty in the Cotswolds and Mendips so you've got fantastic
0: walking on the doorstep. (laughs) Now, so what's your history with walking, Lucy? What made you go for this job? Um, what did you say at interviews?
1: <laughs> interview went by in a bit of a blur. I can't remember now. I, I've i always walked, I've always enjoyed walking, but I, I would say until recently, I mean, last, last year was obviously different for, for many reasons, but walking was something I normally did on holidays or weekends. And the thing that really appealed to me about this job is it's not about hiking. It's not about that really high level expedition type walking. This is about the fact that lots of people, walking is something that's accessible to everybody. It's free. It's one of those physical activities that a lot of people, of course, not everybody, but a lot of people are able to do. But not everybody has the confidence to do it. Not everybody can read an ordnance survey map those public footpath signs that you think, oh, I don't know if I want to go down there. You sometimes find you're following a line on a map and you're wandering through farmer's land. and you think, am I, am I supposed to be here? And so I think the, the beauty of the Basket Project is it is about trying to make it more accessible for more people. We focus on some of the more disadvantaged areas of Bath as well. So we might be running family events and nature walks and back walks in those areas to try and engage those local families. So for me, it brings together the job itself brings together something I really enjoy doing myself along with that desire to democratise it, make sure everybody feels welcome.
0: And of course in the last year during Covid when we've had our, you know, our advice has been to go out and take our daily exercise, most people have have walked for at least an hour and some of us have exceeded the hourly limit but I won't say who. Um, So uh, you know, that's really opened up local parks, local areas for people to walk in and to get comfortable walking. So what what is it that is so good for us about walking, do you think?
1: I mean, certainly from my experience last year, I would say that walking kept me sane, really, because it was, it, as you say, it was your, your daily exercise, being able to get out, see nature, take a break from the computer, meet people people or at the moment person but at some points last year it was it was being able to to walk with people and there's been there's been lots of research about there was there was some quite recently about how a ue over in bristol did did some research about even spending 15 minutes outside near something green had a had a marked improvement on Anxiety levels in younger people and teenagers. So I think there's there's lots and lots of evidence about being in nature, being around green spaces being really good for your physical and mental well-being, and walking is the easiest way to, to get to that nature. And what's been really great is seeing how well used the parks are, how people have really started valuing those who may not have previously appreciated and valued them, have really started enjoying them and hopefully we'll carry on using them you know when the gyms are closed and when sport isn't isn't available walking's all you've got (laughs) but also I think people I mean I certainly discovered a complete I fell back in love with it as well you know it, it isn't just that this is the only thing you've got to do it's this is something that's really enjoyable yeah so exploring new places going and visiting places at different seasons of the year listening to the birds all, all of that has just, I think 2020 really, really reminded us all of, of what joy you can get from walking.
0: And, and even though we've, we've got a section where we're going to be talking about gear and all sorts of different things to do with walking, it actually doesn't cost much, you, you know, as long as you've got a comfortable pair of shoes and something to keep you dry, you can pretty much get away with walking anywhere. So just to go back to the festival for a minute, what can we expect? It's coming up in September. Is there any way that people can get involved beforehand?
1: Yeah, I mean, we would love anybody who wants to lead a walk about whatever they like. We want this year's programme to be more diverse than it has been in, in some years. We're going to have a walking tour exploring the LGBTQ plus history of Bath. We'll be featuring things about our colonial past the transatlantic slave trade, things like that. We also have walks about Ralph Allen and Bedford and that sort of thing, you know, the the heritage of of Bath itself and nature walks. So if there's anything that people want to come and lead a walk on, we'd be very happy to talk to you about that. We're always looking for volunteers to help backmark and things like that, but mainly we just want people to come along and enjoy a walk. So when we release the programme towards probably July have a look out, keep it in your diary, come and enjoy walking with us.
0: Presumably they're all of different lengths. What's the sort of range?
1: Yeah, in terms of distance, bat walks are pretty short because you walk through a park or a bit of woodland listening to your bat detectors. So that that might cover 500 metres. And I think the longest one we had last year was 10 miles. So we try and do everything in between. Last year, we also successfully had our first virtual festival as well. So that includes things like we had a video of the nature that you would find at Bar City Farm and things like that. So for people who aren't able to come out and walk or who won't want to come out walking then, there'll be digital and virtual content as well. And again, if anybody wants to help with that, they're very welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Lucy, for talking to me today and setting the scene for our podcast and the Walking Festival in September.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Okay, now it's time for a very special middle section of the podcast it's called wise words from walking women and i'm here with lucy bartlett lucy (laughs) it's you again
1: (laughs) it is me i'm not going to be on every podcast all the way
0: through (laughs) well anyway welcome now this is the part of the show where we get to talk about some aspect of walking um with a vain idea that we might be offering (laughs) some wise words to people (laughs) We are not very technical in our walking. So I thought it'd be good fun to start off by just saying what is in your rucksack, Lucy? Um, I have a larger rucksack and a smaller rucksack, depending on how long I'm walking. And you've got them there with you. Listeners won't know this, but we're on Zoom, so I can see your rucksack.
1: I have the larger one here, which has a map. (laughs) Gators, for when it's very muddy. We'll talk about those some other time.
0: Gators, we will talk about those.
1: A water bottle, which also stands for snacks. I haven't got any in here at the moment. And I've obviously got a mask and hand sanitizer. Oh. I've got a hat and gloves. And I've got a spare battery for my mobile phone.
0: Oh, now that's which clever. Which is my one
1: concession to emergencies.
0: That's that's <laughs> ingenious. Because that means you can take loads of photographs and videos.
1: Yes. Oh, and I've got binoculars, which I never get out, which is why I've forgotten that they're in there. I carry them around with me as weight training because I always forget <laughs> I've got them. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I'm just going to think about what I have in my rucksack that's similar. I always have a water bottle. And if I'm going for multi-day walks... Or very hot walks, I'll have one of those plastic bag bladder things in the back as well that I can just sip on because I, I forget to stop and take a drink otherwise. Yes. You don't like them though, do I you? Don't,
1: I don't like them. No, I prefer water bottles. But again, that's that's. Uh, but then you have to you do have to remember to stop. And I also find that when I then put everything back in my bag, it's all slightly different and slightly uncomfortable and rubs into your back. But
0: but but when it's really hot, I'd have to have about three water bottles
1: on a very hot summer's day i'll take two liters
0: okay so let's talk waterproofs do you think it's important to spend a lot of money on a waterproof jacket i think i mean
1: you can only spend what you can afford um i i guess if you're going to go out for the whole day and it's going to rain you're going to get miserable if you're wet i've got two different waterproofs which were reasonably expensive and probably aren't that waterproof anymore (laughs) so it's always worth having for waterproofs and and boots probably the best quality you can afford but that doesn't mean that if you haven't got the top gear that that you're going to have a miserable time so yeah just being prepared and obviously if you've got other people walking with you or children walking with you who are likely to get miserable um, it's worth thinking about how, how, how dry you can keep them.
0: Well I think we agree spend as much as you can to get the best that you can manage because I think what people do other than spend money on a waterproof is they just think well it's raining I won't go for a walk and actually it is quite hard to start off in the rain but if it rains when you're out there it's it it can be a wondrous experience can't it?
1: Yes and again everywhere everywhere looks slightly different in in different weather conditions and you can get some fantastic atmospheric views of the rain coming towards you being caught in a storm there's nothing there's nothing like it a really really heavy storm but yeah there's usually a tree you can stand under temporarily and I think also if you get into the mindset of I'm going to check the weather forecast and I'm only going to go if it's beautiful weather you'll end up hardly ever going whereas if you if you think I'm going to go out every Sunday then you go when we're over to I also play sport and you, you play every Saturday. You're in a league. You have to play. You don't not play because it's raining and pitch pitches water. So you just you just know you're going to get wet.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, I think that's right. Now, should we take polls or should we not take polls? I know people who are very, very definite on this subject. Where are you on it?
1: Again, it's, it's a personal preference. I personally haven't got polls, but I know that a lot of people swear by them. I think those people leading things like Nordic walking groups, where it's part of the exercise and it gives you a proper workout that you get more so than just walking. So from a a sort of fitness perspective, they're very good. I also know people who, if you're doing particularly hilly walks or mountainous walks, then particularly going downhill, poles really, really do reduce the impact on on your knees and they keep you steady. I know people that do use poles I think if you do have them you just have to get used to using them but I think that's something you carry around and and never use isn't it?
0: Absolutely I carry poles with me every single time just in case I might need them and where I have used them have been those very steep ladders that you get on the southwest coast path the Cornish coast paths they've definitely got me up and down those I I doubt if I would have got up and down them without poles sort of to help. So all of this has to live in a rucksack. Have you got any tips about what sort of rucksack to get? Can you just get any old rucksack? Does it matter? Yep, I think it's worth trying them
1: on for how comfortable they are. It's all about comfort. So the bigger rucksack that I've got here has got a thicker waist strap and that just spreads the weight if it's particularly heavy. The smaller one I've got hasn't got that because it's not as heavy because you can't fit as much stuff in it. So the positioning of the straps can vary between rucksacks. It's worth something with a slightly padded shoulder strap. If you're wearing them all day, it's very difficult when you're testing them out in a shop to know what's going to be comfortable when you're four miles in. But again, that's just trial and error. Most of them that are designed for walking are are pretty good. And again, you're, you're looking at probably anything between 10 and 30 pounds for a pretty decent rucksack. And I think it's all about comfort. It's always about what's going to be comfortable, what's not going to rub.
0: And it's about pockets, isn't it? I like there to be an extra pocket on the front so that I can put my phone in there. And I like the top pockets. to have little tiny pockets inside for squirrelling away certain items that I never use again, but I know they're there. <laughs>
1: It's also good to have a hook for your keys. Oh, yes. So you don't get back to your car and find that you lost your car keys somewhere up a mountain. You have to do the whole (gasps) walk again, searching for them. hasn't happened to me, but I have passed people who are looking for their keys.
0: Well, Lucy, so this is our new section, Wise Words from Walking Women. We're going to do this every month. I'm not sure what will be next month. It might be boots. And what sort of boots we wear and what sort of boots we think work well. Or it could be, oh, what's your favourite picnic to take and what snacks should we pack? That will be a struggle if we're keeping it to half an hour. <laughs> we, can, we can probably talk about that at length. Um, we're going to definitely have one month on Maps and Apps and uh, how, how do we, how do we make sure we yep. don't get lost and i and i imagine we'll have one on length what length is a good length and and what do we need to think about if we want to go for uh walks which last many days yep okay see you next month see you next time <laughs> And finally, this is the part where we take you on a walk. And who better to take us on our first walk and drag him away from his desk than the Bathscape manager himself. Here he is.
2: Hi, I'm Dan. I manage the Bathscape Landscape Partnership Partnership Scheme. So Bathscape is all about enhancing the green setting of hills and valleys that surround the city of Bath World Heritage Site, um, encouraging more people to enjoy it and discover more about it. We're funded by the National Lottery and it's run by a partnership of conservation and heritage-minded organisations led by Bath and North East Somerset Council. So it's mid-March and we're still in lockdown so like many people I'm particularly valuing local walks where I can get my daily exercise and today I'm going to do a circuit around one of my favourite bits of Bath countryside, the hills and valleys on the southern edge. I'm starting here at the Fox Hill Shops on Bradford Road where I've just picked up a flapjack to keep me going and I'll be heading down into Horscombe Vale, picking up the two-tunnel cycleway out to Midford, then across to South Stoke, and finally back to Fox Hill via the Wandsdyke. As you can probably hear, it's quite busy here at the start with the road noise, but the great thing about Bath and this landscape city is it's surrounded by rolling hills and downs, so once you cross the rise of the hill, you're suddenly free of the city and into a wonderfully relaxing countryside. So let's head off. So I've crossed the road now and I'm walking along Shepherd's Walk, which is a footpath that runs along the line at the edge of the urban fringe in the valley of Horscombe Vale below. It gives really good views across this southern tip of the Cotswolds, area of outstanding natural beauty. And the the noise of cars has been replaced by birdsong, which is much nicer. So originally this whole area would have been primarily used for sheep grazing before the expansion of stone mining in the 1700s and the resulting expansion of Bath and Coombe Down Village here. So presumably that's how we end up with Shepherd's Walk, for this name of the track which is obviously very old, with its old stone walls running alongside it. So we'll carry on to head down into the valley. So I'm dropping down now into Horsecombe Vale through Beechwood. As the name suggests it's got a lot of beech trees in it while on the woodland floor amongst the wild garlic that's sprouting up everywhere you're also starting to see some of the signs of bluebells as well some of the leaves of bluebells popping through so beech itself is quite a common tree in bath especially on this southern side of the city and it's one of my favorite trees uh, particularly later in the spring when its leaves first come out a young bright lime color and used to be evidently a very popular tree to plant around the city you see quite a lot of planted lines of beech trees, all around 150 years old. So, for example, on North Road across from Ralph Allen school and down below Springfield Park down to Entry Hill. And also in Carswood, where they line what was the track to, to Woodhouse. Woodhouse itself is long gone, and unfortunately, the, the beech trees could be heading the same way. There was evidently a fashion for planting them locally back in the 1800s, but these days, as they're shallow-rooted, there's worries that they won't be suited to the expected driest summers of climate change and so few people plant them anymore. But I'd like to see more planted locally to replace those old beech trees around Bath that are now coming to the end of their lives. It seems a shame to, to lose such a dominant feature, such a lovely tree. I'm now down in the bottom of Horscombe Vale, following the stream through the woods. And it's starting to get very muddy. I think, for a lot of people, the uh, remembrance of this year of pandemic, in terms of being outdoors will be how muddy paths are. So uh, it's been great to get more people out enjoying the countryside, put some of our paths this winter have taken a bit of a hit. And this is certainly one of them. along this path I'm surrounded by lots of trees with yellow crosses sprayed on them. Unfortunately it's all too common sight this year as, as landowners are assessing the safety of their ash trees close to public footpaths because of ash dieback sweeping across the countryside. So ash dieback is a, is a disease spread through a, a fungus called Hymenocyphus fraxinius and it's originated in, in Asia but it's first recorded locally in about 2015 and these days the signs of it are all too common in ash trees around the Bath area. So you get this kind of blackening and wilting of leaves during the summer and, and die back of shoots and leaves and occasionally these kind of diamond shaped lesions where branches meet the bark, meet the trunk rather. Um, so the trees with the, the crosses on, were those presumably targeted by tree surgeons to, to fell or to make safe and uh, in woods like this with a lot of ash trees it's going to make a significant difference. Unfortunately ash trees when they get the ash die back fail quite quickly so landowners where they have public footpaths running through like this or, or where they're beside roads are having to make difficult decisions and the longer term we can expect to lose a large proportion of our ash trees. I find it interesting though to think of landscape changing and the appearance of, of, of trees, different predominant tree species. So Ralph Hallen, the local mine owner here, reputedly planted around 50,000 Scots pine trees on the hills in Bath back in the 1700s. Both to enhance the landscape but also for pit props for his mines. But they were felled as his estates were sold off in the 1800s, and and these days you see very few pine trees locally. More recently we had the elm as the predominant tree, so much so that it was was known as the Somersetshire weed. But then in the 1970s, with Dutch elm disease, um, we lost all the mature elms, or certainly the vast majority of them. And the only elms we found now are are kind of young trees that are too small to attract the elm bark beetle that, that carries Dutch elm disease. So our countryside is constantly changing. I guess we just do what we can to to keep it going as best we can for the for the existing wildlife. So from Horscombe Vale, I've come out onto the 2 tunnels cycleway, which is a great way to reach the countryside from the city, without having to climb the hills, as you can walk, run, or cycle under them through the old train tunnels. And the area is dominated by by Midford Castle in this part of the. The track a big private house sitting on the hillside overlooking the valley and the whole area is great for wildlife we get butterflies like dingy skipper and grizzled skipper here and and even the marsh fertility butterfly with a small colony discovered in one of the fields a couple of years ago and that's the the only current breeding site we have in Avon we also get occasional adders spotted along here as well as the usual birds and, and deer and the like these valleys that first brought me to Bath as I moved here in 2003 to lead a project to improve the local countryside for the rare horseshoe bats that live in the area including the old Coondown Down stone rats. The wildflower rich fields attracting the insects which in turn provide food for bats, while the farmers graze the fields sympathetically and their cows are attracting dung beetles which are a particular delicacy for greater horseshoe bats. So it's an area I know well so this two tunnels path is the, the line of the old Somerset and Dorset railway line that used to run out of Bath going south down to Dorset um, it's perhaps best known because it appeared in the, in the film The Tipfield Thunderbolt so there's nothing left of it now but cycle path but it's very popular so you can hear the blackbird singing up there it's nice to have them started it's been robins mostly singing this morning but a couple of blackbirds coming in now as well after a stretch on the country lanes i'm i'm now in fields south of the village of South Stoke several of the fields in this area are wildflower rich and managed sympathetically to allow wildflowers to bloom in the early summer before they get cut or grazed off later in the summer and then grazed So we have a a free advisory service through Bathscape for landowners to advise them with management that's best for the wildlife and also to help them access government stewardship grants. And this area is a prime target to try and get as much land managed sympathetically as possible. So it's gloriously peaceful out here. One of the pleasures of my job is being able to get out into the countryside discover more of it, help to encourage other more people to get out in it. And also to, to meet and speak to the people who own it, who, uh, who can manage it to improve things for wildlife and for people. And we're lucky in Bath that there's uh, several good landowners around. This is good for the soul. It's so peaceful here, just the sound of the brook. A bit of bird call in the background and, and nothing else. I've climbed back up the hill to the village of South Stokeham, now rewarded with great views across the rolling landscape. The Hot Hill Man in the foreground and the hills behind. It's a shame that the Horse Inn is still closed for lockdown, but at least I just can treat myself with a flapjack I've been carrying and perch on the, the bench in the churchyard. I've always liked the fact that the churchyard here is a, a side entrance from the churchyard that takes you down into the, the beer garden of the Pack Horse. Though I'm not sure quite how that would have squared with the Temperance Society back in the day. I was reading recently a nice piece online recounting how the innkeeper of the Pack Horse in the 1770s, a, a farmer called Anne Grace, was mixed up in smuggling. She apparently had a sideline in using the inn as a storehouse for smuggled tea, which at one point led to a shootout with pistols and blunderbusses when it was raided by the local police. The church records here, thanks to local historians, are online and give an insight into the local wildlife in the past. So there was a, a law in the 16th century that the church wardens would pay a bounty for people who killed what was classed as vermin. So in the late 1600s, they were paying a, a penny for the head of a fox and, and fourpence for the head of a badger. While well, they were also encouraging the capture and killing of, of hedgehogs and polecats. So sadly, the killing of polecats drove them completely out of the county by the, by the late 1800s. Um, Although some areas of southwest England are actually starting to reintroduce them now. But badgers have fared much better thanks to their protection in law and the Wildlife and Countryside Act. There are probably more badgers around now in the area than there were in the late 1600s. Well, I better head off now if I'm to make it back. So I've headed northwest out of the village now and onto the top, across some open fields, back to the urban fringe. And I'm on a path now that runs along the length of the, of the Wandsdyke. So the Wandsdyke is this mysterious, ancient wood earthwork that crosses some of second wiltshire and can be seen most clearly probably in sections near Englishcum village or here south of Odddown, where people's back gardens back right onto it. Uh, it's basically a, a linear embankment and a ditch it's thought to be a defensive structure possibly built by native britons as a defense against the invading anglo-saxons the name was wandsdyke it's, it's thought to be a corruption of woden's dyke after the norse god woden so we have so much history in and around bath that we perhaps don't make most of the, the wandsdyke really elsewhere it would probably be made more of and at the end of this path opposite the cross keys pub there's probably my favorite sign in the bathscape area which proudly declares, near here runs Woden's Dyke, an ancient monument after which Wands Dyke Council was named. So after 16 centuries of, of history defined by its connection to a local authority that lasted less than 20 years, but there we go. So all that remains for me now is to cross the South Stoke Road and pick up the other end of Shepherd's Walk Path to take me back to Foxhill Shops. If you want to try a walk in this area or other parts of the Bathscape, then check out the trail guides that you can find linked from the explore pages of our website, bathscape.co.uk. And I hope you've enjoyed joining me on this walk.
0: So much to Dan Merritt, Bathscape Manager, for recording a really lovely walk for us all. That's it for our very first episode of Footprints. If you've enjoyed listening, please do give us a review and subscribe through your favourite podcast provider. We'd really love to hear your ideas for future episodes, so please do email us at infobathscape.co.uk and you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Bathscape and of course you can find out more about the many many things Bathscape does by visiting the website www.bathscape.co.uk Footprints was hosted and produced by me Pomi Harmer thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next month